Welcome back, listeners, to the Speaking Generally podcast. I am Stephen Hussey, and with me is George Taylor, Master of Science. No. It's wrong, isn't it? What are you a master of? Arts and studies. Arts and studies. Master of Arts and studies. <laughs> master of Arts and Studies, George Taylor. Um, welcome back to the podcast, listeners. Today, we are taking it right back to ancient Greece, of course, because we're talking about virtues. Vertu, if you like. I think Machiavelli referred to it as that. Um, it's a brand of mobile phone, I think, too. <laughs> sure. It's a Motorola. Motorola Verti. <laughs> the Motorola Verti. Um, we, uh, we are talking about virtues. Uh, Aristotle, of course, was sort of one of the great founders of virtue ethics, the idea that it was not about what specific actions are right and wrong, but more about cultivating the kind of moral character with a good array of the kind of attributes you want in a person. Courage, uh, kindness, generosity, justice, all these things. And today we're asking, what are some overrated and underrated virtues? What are some things that society praises too much or too little? Um, well, good thing I've got the well-rounded character of George Taylor with me today to discuss these issues. Um, Steve, you know what a little extra advantage is for this discussion? What was the motto of our school, Steve? Oh, the motto of our school was, of course, virtue, learning, and manners. Bingo. It's right there in the first one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got two down. The manners part, well, no. was, I, sometimes I still wear a bib. <laughs> um, so I've, I've just penned some things, George, just thinking out loud here. Um, Let's just let's just dive right in, listeners. Let's not waste any time. Uh, we're all in bloody pandemic, for God's sake. We've got no time to waste. Uh, so, straight off the bat, George, underrated, I believe, is a slight disagreeableness. <laughs> I think I think that the ability to ruffle a few feathers to just kind of to kind of just. To kind of not not be a, not just be the a cat among the pigeons, cat among the pigeons, not be a contrarian. But I feel mm. like the people who do interesting things in this world, the people who forge their own life, the people who sort of seem to be happiest, seem to be okay with you know shunning some level of conformity, of disagreeing with the mainstream, of saying I don't care about that. This is what I'm going to do. Um, a slight sense of disagreeableness. What do you think? I, yeah, I don't know if I'd call it a sense of disagreeableness, but yeah, I think that's obviously a good thing to be comfortable going slightly against the status quo and branching out. But um, I suppose we have to caveat everything here with that wouldn't be a good virtue to seek if you were a hostess or a, you know, <laughs> there's like a, a nanny <laughs> or something. There's loads of roles where being agreeable is obviously essential. Um, but there are within, I guess, entrepreneurial endeavors, then yeah, certainly having a sense of willingness to kind of swim slightly against the tide or yeah. Um, 
That yeah, like artistic endeavors. Artistic endeavors. I feel like certain, like even in organizations, I feel the people who aren't afraid to sort of put the brakes on and say, "Hey, I think this is the wrong path," or "I don't like this." I think it's a. It's, it's one There's of those- a debate then about sort of group versus individual, right? Because I suppose you could be like a real kiss ass and really serve yourself in a corporation or something. But if it's for the greater good, then maybe saying, well, actually, sir, that isn't the best idea. Let's check this out. And taking immediate flack, but longer payoff might be the way to go. But it depends on who you're serving. Yeah, that's true. There, there may be situational contexts where it's definitely prudent to be very agreeable. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost one of those, you know, one of those other things that comes into play with virtues is, and again, I think Machiavelli talks about this. It's like, it's like timing. It's about when you are, like, if you're going to be generous, sometimes it's about the timing mm-hmm. of when to be generous or when to be harsh. And so there's always like an element of a bigger element of judgment of like when to use them. Um, I suppose for me, it's, it's just thinking about, I think the broad sense of like, you know, I think we've talked sometimes George about like the blandness of just being considered like, Oh, they're just so nice. He's just so nice. It's like, there is something really good about kindness and obviously like kindness is sort of perennially underrated, like being a kind person. But, but you not, when someone just says that person's nice, it's usually associated with, they're just highly, highly agreeable and they and never sort of, going on, yeah. they never make me feel challenged or they never sort of object or, you know, <laughs> maybe don't even say what they actually think. They just, uh, they just kind of allow things to happen to them. And uh, there's, a, I think, also being there's a level of comfort. You have to have a certain level of comfort in the thing that you're willing to be disagreeable about. For example, I'm very happy to say to someone, I didn't like that film. We all sat and watched it. I thought it was a load of rubbish. I'm quite happy to do that. Oh, I know. You're, you're certainly not shy about saying that. Certainly not shy. But I mean, if I, but only if I can sort of articulate my reasons for it and I wouldn't choose to do it to make someone feel stupid or something like that. But if it was just, oh, yeah, I thought that was good for these reasons. Well, no, I didn't. And I'd be happy to speak up against the grain for that. But yeah, in the bigger context or whatever, you don't want to be like dumping all over someone's position or, you know, if someone's invested in it or put their work into it, you obviously wouldn't say that. But if it's just um, sharing opinions, I think there'd be nothing wrong with being, like you say, you don't want to be contrarian for the sake of it, but if you can kind of articulate why you're choosing to follow a certain path, then more power to you, I suppose, as long as it's not harming others. Yeah, well that well that one brings me on to an underrated virtue because you just mentioned there um about not wanting to dump on other people but on the con- phrase I thought <laughs> absolutely a vivid image. Um <laughs> I uh I I think being a serial encourager is really mm. underrated. I think mm. that and I don't think that's being just agreeable. I mean, I think when people are doing things like everyone is facing their own difficult battle and has their own like mini crises of confidence in what they're doing. I think being someone who really um, is happy to push people to like keep going and say, yeah, like you should do that. You should try that thing. You should have a go. You should apply. 
you might have a chance. Like, I think it's a really underrated thing. I think people get discouraged very, very easily. And especially if they're trying something that is a little out of the ordinary, I feel like, I just feel like everyone should sort of take on the responsibility more of giving people a push to, because everyone's like got status quo bias, right? So the more you can like lean people towards like, oh, it's okay that you're doing something that feels a bit uncomfortable for you, or this this does, you know, this is new, or you haven't been there before, or that's a bit scary, but you should really do that. You'll have a great time, or you'll learn a lot, or you've got a chance. Like, Yeah, like you, don't, you don't want to be a person who does it to obviously, again, caveat everything with moderation, because you don't want to be the person, oh, should I just quit my job and live in the woods? Yeah, yeah, it'd be brilliant. You don't you don't want to be like a ludicrous voice of encouragement right you don't want to encourage the wrong things but giving a person a push at just the right time and be like seeking that out almost it's like if you're um oh should i apply for this course you know that there's going to be certain people that you talk to who will give you one kind of advice and other people will be a lot more hesitant right and i think there's there's probably even a virtue hidden in there somewhere about being very selective about the advice you seek out if that if that is possible if you can do that in a slightly non-biased way possibly but like i don't know (sighs) trapping yourself with oh shall i just ask my very sort of careful grandmother if i should take this risk you know what she's going to say right so you kind of need to be sort of solicit advice in a way that is going to give you the the most objective but still effective information i suppose i don't quite know how to articulate that without it sounding like you're setting yourself up for the answer you already want but being judicious in who you approach for information is is certainly important. Yeah, I I guess the way I see it is just that when most people need encouragement, it's not because like most people aren't taking insane risks. A lot of the time there mm. actually isn't so much at stake other than them feeling like, oh, I didn't do that well or it didn't go mm. the best way it could have. So I guess to me it's like mo yeah, most people aren't like thinking I'm gonna sell all my possessions and go into the wilderness and you know go barefoot into Alaska. So it's like, you know, to most people, it's just like, I'm thinking of like, I don't know. I'm thinking of like writing a screenplay or I'm thinking of, you know, doing doing an online business or something. So, so yeah, it's like, there's, there's, it's like, well, you, you definitely should because you'll probably get more good than bad come of that. It's very Mm. unlikely you're like going to be on the road to ruin and you'll probably be happier you tried it. So, so yeah, that's my sort of caveat is that most people aren't taking these like insane life, life risking uh, endeavors. Culturally, since being in the U S as well, that attitude really just permeates, uh, every, every interaction you have, people are just inherently a bit more positive here, certainly than coming, certainly than in the UK, there's just a, an undercurrent of like, great job, you can do it, way to go, you know that, and it, if you're not used to it, it really rubs off and does make you feel good about yourself. If it's overdone, it can be really draining and a bit sort of saccharine and sort of becomes meaningless after a while. But in in the right doses, that kind of pep just throughout your day, like you're a bit down and then you go in a coffee shop and like, oh yeah, way to go. Like you just get a little buzz of encouragement and that is um, 
yeah, in a really sort of benign way, that's quite impactful. So if you can have that kind of encouragement from people that you, you know, know and engage with more frequently, then yeah, that should be a really positive thing. Yeah, I think Americans don't realise how culturally specific that attitude is to them. And like mm. it is it is quite I think that's why sometimes a lot of British people get a kick when they go to America and they do see all that like yeah, that that zest and that sort of friendliness and that like great joy, yeah, you can do it. Like mm. it's kind it is kind of infectious if you haven't really if you don't really have that cultural attitude. Um yeah so so it can, i suppose it comes down also too much of that comes down on like the participation medal side of things right like no winners just for showing up you get a prize kind of maybe the neg that might be the negative side of that um but yeah i i also imagine in america my imagination is that it's it's harder to feel like in some ways like harder to feel like a failure in America because like there's a lot of maybe implicit judgment maybe it's like you know you can do it you should be able to do it is it you know what I mean? right. maybe in like yeah. in European culture maybe people are like well I was I'm just unlucky or sorry you mean it's hard it hits you harder if you fail you maybe it hits you harder if you feel yeah maybe yeah, it hits it. you harder if you feel like a failure or if like yeah people are telling you you can do it <laughs> yeah, um, right. so yeah mixed mixed bag um uh okay now this one this one is debatable and i have mixed feelings on it but uh, as a as a rationalist but i do notice that in that spirit of needing encouragement and you know how like confidence right i think a level of almost it's almost a fact that like the like one of the mindset keys to sort of doing well getting ahead uh being able to turn your ideas into reality is having like a modicum of sort of delusional self-belief mm-hmm. and and having a level where you do in some sense even overestimate your abilities but you almost grow into them because you have high expectations and it kind of becomes this self-fulfilling thing like you know, when that, that last dance documentary of Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan because he's super talented, but also he, he just has this obscene mindset that is just, he just believes he should be a cer- in a certain position. Like that was clearly his drive was just like, I, I should, I need to practice. I should be better than everyone on this team. And, mm. you know, it's not that everyone is trying to dominate their game or their field in that way but but just it there does seem to be a i think peter Thiel once said like if you're certain you're going to succeed it doesn't mean you will succeed but if you think you're going to fail you almost definitely will like there's almost like a, yeah. there is a fulfilling thing and so just tilting on the edge of tilting on the edge of overestimating your ability seems to have a powerful effect that's and that's hard to just will yourself into <laughs> But there does seem to be, yeah, some level of... Well, if you're willing to do all the other work, right, then it's definitely... You can't go, oh, yeah, I'm, def- I'm going to become a multimillionaire with my company. I'll just put my feet up. <laughs> like, you, you you, still have to do all the other things, or Michael Jordan still has to be fit and be six foot six and do all those other things. But that is the... 
that is one like flick of a switch in your head that you can make, right? That is going to give you a sort of percentage shift. Yeah, and it's almost like positive. it's almost like a sense of entitlement. And again, this it all sounds gross, right? Because you think entitlement, delusional self confidence. These are not <laughs> these are not the things that you know. These can lead you down a lot of terrible paths, but. But there is almost a sense of if you believe you are, in, it's like if you believe you're entitled to be treated well in a relationship and, and you know, you're entitled to a great partner, you will sort of gravitate to pushing towards people who you think, you think like, yeah, they're not out of my league. I can be with that person or I deserve a person like that. And it is a kind of self-fulfilling. Uh, Isn't this just the secret? <laughs> Um, no, I don't think it is because it's not just not just believe it and it will happen. Right. It's almost like it's almost like the foundational part is that you have to you have to believe that you. Oh, it's going to sound it's like the corniest thing ever, but it's like you you have to believe you deserve a level of success, which in itself is a kind of it is a kind of delusional self confidence. And it is a kind of... Um, is this just a bigger picture version or like a extrapolated onto a larger scale version of essentially like taking a deep breath before doing something a bit difficult and going, no, I can do this, you know, like, and yeah, just it's quite, stretching that out. Like before you walk into a meeting, oh, I can do this. And then you give yourself a bit of confidence and you follow through. Yeah. That, but it's just, what we're it's talking just, about is just scaled out version of that. Yeah, because it's just if you walk into those things in life, those high-pressure things, constantly thinking that you're really far down the totem pole, you've got to prove yourself, it is a big mindset shift to be like, no, I've got value here, I've got to demand my value, I've got to like assert what I'm worth, and you know, you can, you've got to then back it up with actual competence. But, but yeah, it's it's like, you know, it's like you, right, or, or when there was a point where you were thinking about applying to Oxford and, you know, you at some point had to just take that leap of being like, I can go to a place like Oxford and I'm smart enough and I'm capable enough and I should definitely apply. Like you need to start off. It's not, not that you're delusional there, but you're starting off with a level of like, I think I can reach to that level. And so it's almost like the mindset thing is first. You know yeah, I mean? it, it has to come with some valid or like proof of concept or whatever. It's sort of, oh, I did well on that previous exam. That maybe lets me think that I can have a go at that. Or I did well in that race, so I'll enter this marathon. It's a step up. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't just do that based on nothing, right? You have to have some measure of it. But I think being able to take previous experiences and then use those as a mechanism to like level up with and follow through with is, I don't know that there's a virtue with that, but that's a very important skill. I think being able to kind of build on previous experiences. Yeah. The, the, uh, to, to muddy my own waters, as it were, the caveat I would have is that in like, you know, in people believing they're really smart and can predict the future and all those things, overconfidence definitely hurts a lot of people. So mm. in, in people over-assuming their intelligence and thinking, well, I think so, what you're saying I'm is so clever. overconfidence of, of knowing exactly what the outcome will be, but it's just backing themselves to belong in a certain situation, right? It's like, oh, I'll give it a go. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But 
the Michael Jordan thing is like putting himself in a position to then take a shot. And if he can do it, he can do it. Yeah. And my friend Ben, you know, our friend Ben. But he's just... not saying, I'm going to score. Do you know, it's slightly different. It's like having the confidence to follow through with it. Yeah. Our friend Ben would tell me when I first started rowing, our friend Ben is a very good rower, but he, he would just say like, you've got to back yourself. You've got to back that you belong there, that you can get a seat in that boat and that you're as good as anyone. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just like, if, if I could give someone some software to start with, I would give them that, that little mild sense of entitlement, like they do belong in that club. Um, yeah. So that's, that's one thing I would say. Um, a modicum of entitlement. <laughs> um, I, uh, okay. Well, one here we've already talked about, George, before, so I hope you'll agree with me, is being a quitter is underrated. Yeah. What, which virtue is that, Steve? <laughs> Aristotle called it... <laughs> which Aristotelian virtue is quitting? <laughs> Quitteramus. Um Yeah, I, uh, yeah. what is the virtue? I guess to broaden the scope of it, I would almost say flexibility. I think mm. we, we value dogged digging our heels in and just um, sticking with what we already have invested in or, you know, in opinions. People, people value, yeah, you're really stuck to your guns. You really like persevered with that idea or that position and, I think being able to say, I quit, I was wrong, this was a, you know, this was the wrong thing for me. Uh, mm. Actually, I disagree with that idea now. I really respect people and I think they get, they just basically shortcut towards being happier or in a, or more correct quickly because they give up on a bad idea or they just yeah. change their mind and they go, oh, like, like, well, another friend of ours, George, a lot of anecdotes this time, but uh, another friend of ours was really anti-dating apps. He just thought they were the devil. He thought they were like a waste of time. And he's now been, you know, saying how he's been really successful on Hinge and has been really enjoying the sort of dating app world. And he sort of did a U-turn on a position that he was very strong about and sort of hadn't really given them a proper try but uh, I think things like that, it's just just when you're highly flexible, um, I think it gives you a lot of, lot of benefits. Definitely. I think, again, it's applying those... Apply, there's like a broad virtue of applying the right virtue at the right time, right? Because you've also spoken about how you're very good at, I don't know, plodding along with things like running or rowing. You can just knuckle down and do it. If you if you went, oh, I'm just going to quit because this is awful and really uncomfortable, you wouldn't get the payoff, right? So kind of knowing, knowing when to stick and when to twist is broadly a, a kind of a more important um, like categoriser or like mechanism by which to then decide how to behave in certain circumstances like being a bit more uh i'm struggling with my words here but having a bit more uh, uh picking and choosing the right lane and how to apply yourself in that lane is a broader and more useful skill than knowing what to do when you're in it almost yeah yeah i think um and i think it's just knowing usually it's 
you've banged your head against the wall a bunch of times and you're just not seeing the dial move at all. It's usually mm. like, oh man, I've been doing this and I don't think any, I'm any better. Or I don't think this is going. And it's, and it's either a signal of like, I need to do this in a different way. Like I have to change my approach here. If I'm, if I'm playing chess 10 hours a day and just losing to the same level people, it's like, I need to learn this in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> or eventually you might be like, this isn't my game and I need to stop. Yeah. Back um, to checkers. Yeah. Back to, <laughs> back to Uno. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, but I just think there's a lot of liberation, a lot of power, a lot of, getting getting things correct uh quicker uh so yeah flexibility um but there steve th- does that slightly contradict the previous one we talked about about you know someone encouraging you to follow through with something like how do you square up being judicious with your quitting and someone saying no don't quit stick with it i think that relies on hopefully the sagacity of the people advising you mm. but also like i think people outside can usually have a a better view of your abilities than you do so some if people really are pushing you on you kind of need to take some heart and trust them to some extent if they really yeah. are like out for your best interests um it's like okay most people aren't looking for you to carry on on a delusional path um yeah and and also, I think the encouraging is particularly at the start of things. I think that's when people need need a lot right. at the beginning is trying things. I think, yeah. Um, but that's why you should tell people if they're good at stuff. You know, people need to hear that. You you've gone extremely quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering, just trying to think back to who encouraged us to do this podcast. Tell me, George, tell me everything I'm good at now. <laughs> um, okay. Um, well, what do we think of this one, George? Um, what one should we do here? Okay, the, these are ones I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on. Um what do you think to just just honesty? That's a usually very good thing to pursue, but contextual. Um, white white lies are important. Um, well, that's that's insightful. White lies are important. Don't you think? I do, but I feel conflicted about saying that. I no, like, but is that a good, con- you know, like oh, I'm dying. You know, oh no, it'll all be all right. You, you don't go, no, yeah, sorry, yeah, dead tomorrow. There's obviously like... <laughs> I didn't think you were going to go there straight away. <laughs> no, but there, that's what I mean. Like, broadly, there's obviously room for being sort of judicious with the truth in a... It, you have to weigh up the outcome, don't you? It's very difficult when... How do you have a uniform sort of consensus on what the best outcome will be and therefore what should someone be told but one parent with their kid knows that their child can be told yeah father christmas isn't real other parents know that they need to sort of indulge that further and you know there's Mm -hmm. it's all based on the context of of what you're saying and how you're saying it broadly i think honesty is important but it brings up a lot of issues about like 
know, perspective and sort of solipsistic positioning and things like that. Um, but that's probably a little bit deeper than you meant. I, I don't know. Um, in general, I think honesty is good, but I think there's certainly a place for shaping what people think to be as beneficial as you can with the impact of the thing that they're being told. Yeah, I think um, it's weird. Like Sam Harris takes a really hard line on honesty and wrote a book about why he basically thinks all forms of lying are kind of always bad. And uh, it's very difficult. I I think it's, um, you know, I think just because we're social creatures and social relationships, it is like how important, uh, you know, truth is a real hard value, but... (laughs) Would he, does he also, apply that to lying by omission as well? He kind of does, but he's like... So he would go up, he would actively seek out someone and tell them something <laughs> bad. I don't think he would, no. I think, I think he... But what's he thinks, the difference? I think he thinks if your friend asks you, like, do you think I need to lose weight or something, he sort of would defer on being like, oh, I think you could lose, like... If I was you, I'd, I could maybe... I think you want to lose, like, 15 pounds or, like you know, I'd want to lose like 10 pounds if I were your sort of weight, which would that be sociopathic to say to someone? Um, it depends who asks you. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? And I think a lot of it, you just, it's not a white lie to say, well, you know, with questions like that, it's sort of like, well, what, what are your goals? It's like, yeah, it's not completely. for me, it's not for me to tell you what you should do. It's like, well, if you're worried about your health, then, you know, that you should, um, you know, try and try and have a healthier diet or whatever. But yeah, I, I, with those things, I feel it wouldn't be for me to aesthetically judge this is how you should be or should look. Um, I just always think, well, what what are you trying to do? Like, what are your goals here? Um, so yeah, I don't know. But yeah, there's, I, a, million, there's a million contexts where there's loads of contexts where you'd be honest. Yeah, you'd be a real maniac to like express everything you could possibly say in that moment. Yeah, well, there, there wouldn't be any culture or literature. Oh, well, that, yeah, that's an extreme, but a lie is a lie. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So, like, if he wants to play that game, but the more just the sort of create, I don't even mean, oh, you couldn't write fiction because it's not truthful, but, but just, you know, using different language, using similes or metaphors, they're, yeah. they're all on, surely on the spectrum of what is honest. The, you know, otherwise you have to say it is black, it is tall, and just use very descript, like descriptive language. And there's like irony um, and double meaning, and yeah, completely. Of... It would it would strip a lot a lot of what is enjoyable about language away. But um, no, good good luck to him. Well, what then do you think? <laughs> what? Uh... Okay, so on honesty is a sort of wash. <laughs> Honestly, well, what were you saying you think it's an underrated virtue no i actually just virtue. i actually just wanted to get your thoughts but i i no i i definitely wouldn't make the case for like radical honesty i'm, I'm not mm. convinced by it I'm, I'm too i'm too you know i i think about people's feelings and social being you know sort of socially in that way socially agreeable to not want to be a sociopath yeah um yeah, yeah. but uh i um well, that's one. What What do you think of like, you know, manners and decorum? It's in our school motto, George. Do you think Big like? Fan. Big fan. <laughs> there you go. Um, and do you think of like 
culturally specific, like adopting to the sort of adhering to the sort of cultural politeness you're in or that sort of thing, or just a kind of decorum of there's certain ways to go to a restaurant, there's certain ways to politely eat your food, there's certain ways to politely dress. Do you think those Yeah, I do. I do subscribe to those because I think the underlying motive of those is to create an environment in which people feel comfortable. There are, there's arguments to be made, of course, that, you know, it's an expensive restaurant with certain requirements. If you're not from a kind of background where you're used to that, you might not know that the more there's a very high buy-in or something, but broadly, when we went to Japan, we took our shoes off when we went into people's homes, right? You do it. It's, you would go, oh, well, I don't do that. So I'm just going to walk in. It, those things are there and you respond to them to kind of join in the social cohesion. And that's the same thing with the honesty thing. It, you kind of follow those descriptions, like a dress code generally would be so that people feel consistently comfortable. Someone's not upstaged or made to look silly or whatever. There's issues that make that maybe harder to buy into a game, but in general, the motive behind them, I think is usually good. It could be done for exclusive exclusivity reasons but so can lots of other things so uh yeah in general i'm supportive of uh kind of codes and conduct i mean we follow rules and laws broadly so i don't see why that can't be scaled down for other reasons yeah and i think there's a there's a different there's a signal that's also being being given off there of kind of like you respect even in your own culture right it's just like i respect that if you're paying to go to a nice restaurant, there's a way that, you know, there's a way that is courteous to others to behave sort of thing. Yeah, right? completely. It's like, this is, this is like, yeah, it's showing a, it's showing a level of respect for the people around you and even in dressing. Yeah, host or, yeah dressing yeah, for yeah. the wedding, dressing like, what do you, I mean, George, you think, this, well, this is where the, the disagreeableness one clashes, but, you know, someone who fancies themselves a bit of a sort of, a bit of a sort of maverick, hey, I'm not playing by the fuddy-duddy rules. And they show up to a wedding wearing sort of trainers. Do you think they... Oh, well, I know what you think. I can. I, the, the audience can't, but I can see George's face. And it's sullen I mean, and disgusting. Weed those people out at the point of coming up with the guest list. Right. Good point. Get that. But, you know... <laughs> See, that's what you don't want to do. If you if you're too disagreeable, people will make a mental note and never invite you to things again. That's yeah. that's what you don't want to do. Yeah. Obviously, it's not like people are making ludicrous requests or something. It's very different. But broadly speaking, in terms of like rules or um, yeah, requirements are generally there for like sort of a social equalizers or to kind of unify people out of function. Then I don't see why that. That's a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah. So that's where I do contradict myself in that I think conformity to those kind of, I do, I do conform to politeness and that is something I, I feel is, um, I don't know. I feel there is a virtue in that. I almost, I think there was someone who once talked about how like, I think it was one of these Silicon Valley guys said they like wear a suit in Silicon Valley because like, they they conform to like business attire so that they can be more um, disagreeable in what they say and think. It's almost like they mm. conform in the social aspect and, and don't look like a maverick, so they can be more. Uh, yeah, it's like 
there's where you can be disagreeable in certain ways, I think. Mm. Um, uh, interesting one. Um, what do you think of... Okay, maybe we'll do one more. Um, what do you think of being a rounded person? Mm. It's pretty good, isn't it? Okay, let's do another one. <laughs> <laughs> I, Needs a little bit more, doesn't it? Depends what the outcome is or who they are or what their goal is. Or if you were like a mono, like crazily, solely single-minded, solely focused person, well, if it makes you Elon Musk or something, then that's great. If you're the best Usain Bolt, like he might be really bad at general knowledge, but he's really good at running fast and it's worked for him, then that's all good. Yeah, I, I feel like it comes back a little bit to that. There's the David Epstein book, Range, where he um, talks about how, like, it's like that single-minded thing works very well in these sort of, what does he call them? He has a word for, like, basically closed and open systems. I think he calls mm-hmm. them, I can't remember the exact terminology now, but basically, like, you know, if a closed game, like a golf or chess or running or something, there's a very, like, singular um thing right it's a bit more zero sum it's a bit more this is one thing if you really dedicate yourself whereas like um things that are more chaotic it's almost it's almost your you're better drawing from different skills and fields and in some ways it helps to like have a bit of a range in the knowledge base like like almost like a lot of people who are highly successful are not they're not like um, always these, we think they're like the singular genius of one thing, but actually that's a very specific kind of thing. A lot of people just have stacks of very good skills that sandwich together to make something really great. Like they'll just be like quite a good writer, but also funny, but also mm. maybe have some technical skill, maybe have some like technical software skill, whatever. And they, they all combine to make a package that's kind of, yeah, and I feel that I feel like that's where the rounded thing really helps people. Um, unless you're like a singular, singularly brilliant at one thing, like writing or running or something. Um, yeah, that's my view on that. Um, yeah, being open. Uh, it, I feel like there's some level of maybe social obligation. It's to being a moderately rounded person because I think the bottom line to all of these discussions is how you then fit or interact in a society and if you just have oh, I just do this you're sort of impossible to talk to I'm just into cars I don't care about anything else well you know good like you're not a good chat or conversation it's like I feel like people have a sort of obligation to be at least able to hold a conversation yeah. do you know what I mean like a dinner party on the left, on your left, you're lumbered with the guy who can only talk about cars. It's just, it's rubbish, isn't it? It's like you owe it to the people around you to be able to have a bit more of a conversation. Or an underrated virtue, Steve, I think we haven't talked about before, it's maybe not a virtue, but just people who can't ask questions of other people. Like, yes. Just be able to ask some questions of people. Like the virtue of being able to hold a conversation or at least show some, feign some level of interest. That, you know, if that plays into being well-rounded i'm not sure but just being able to go beyond 
a very sort of soul focus is surely an obligation on people to be able to interact more broadly. Yeah, well, and, and that's where like shyness is massively overrated, right? It's like people being shy or being like difficult and uh, yeah, not saying much. It's like, that's on them. That's not my fault. Mm. <laughs> it's not like that, that's them not even being curious or trying and just being like, oh, I'm a bit Because like, I think like it's quite a great defense almost. You could put up a big wall around yourself by still going, oh, so what do you do? And what are you up to? You know, just... Asking other people a question, it's like offense is the best form of defense. If you're a shy person, like you can go a long way and maybe keep things you want to keep guarded, very guarded by letting other people talk. But yeah, cl- closing up a conversation by being well solely focused on one thing, I think is very. It happens in academic circles a lot, right? When you're in them, um, you'll you'll go to a, a dinner in a kind of academic setting, and people only talk about their research. It's, it's rude yeah yeah i um totally totally agree on that way too many people and like like you say the bloke who just talks about cars i remember someone once who was like yeah i think she said like oh i'm just into my music like i you know she was like an aspiring musician she's like i'm just into my music i don't like think about anything else and so it's like that was her excuse for like not talking about anything else so it's like oh right so we're on your field all the time we're on we have to play the game on your field and nowhere else because you're not interested unless it was taylor swift or you know (laughs) exactly beyonce or madonna (laughs) it's like oh i'd sort of indulge that a bit but unless it's even that would be a bit mental yeah it's yeah. it's a, it's just like this and it's like well so what you don't want to know about anything else either you don't want to ask <laughs> or you don't ask me about anything um yeah I, I i found that very and i think they saw it as like a virtue that they were very sort of focused and i think they were sort of trying to wear that as a badge i do i think the undercurrent of this conversation probably is that um dealing with all, all of these aspects in a certain level of moderation or like appropriateness allows you to in, interact with people more effectively and beneficially to them as much as to you. And I think everyone has a level of obligation to be able to do that. If you live in a society, you need surely need to be able to contribute something to other people. Aristotle loved him some moderation. Um, I, uh, well, all right, last, last one, George. You're going to have a very quick answer to this. Physical bravery. Mm. What Do you have a position on that or you just want to know mine? Okay, it's re- relative to who you are and what you do. Yeah, to, I guess to the average person, do they need physical bravery? Uh, is that a virtue? I don't know. Um, Teeters into recklessness quite quick. I, you know... You got to be risk averse with your own, your own health, haven't you? Yeah, it depends what you're saying, right? If it's like do this, it's a scary roller coaster, but nothing's going to happen. If you want to go on that or not, sort of your prerogative, I suppose. When does that affect other people? Um, if there are girls watching and you think they'll laugh at you if you don't do it, and you get peer, right. and you get the social peer pressure into doing it to maintain yeah. a veneer of masculinity. Well, that's when that's when disagreeableness comes into its own right. If you can sort of style that out in a disagreeable but hilarious way, then <laughs> you're onto a winner. I'd, I'd probably. Uh, well, I mean, I like roller coasters, but I'd probably go on the roller coaster out of peer pressure, George. Right. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'd think, oh no, if everyone's going on it, I don't want to. Yeah. Don't want to show myself up. 
So you'll just be the slightly, slightly scared, cowardly <laughs> one at the back, gritting your teeth and hating every second of it. Um, yeah, actually that, so like, I, I'm quite like claustrophobic and that's one thing where I would, I would feel a tension if there was a lot of peer pressure to do something through, through a dark tunnel. Mm. I, would, I would think, should I, would I conform then? I, I think, no, I think I wouldn't. The, the going through a dark tunnel wouldn't, you know, like a small human shaped, you know, human sized yeah. tunnel. I can go through the Dartmouth tunnel in a car, but I mean, right. like, yeah, I think, I think actually then my phobia would get the better of me. I think I'd probably yeah. be out. Yeah. Feeling the need to have to conform to sort of peer pressure when it's about something that you just absolutely don't want to do. I just say, just don't do it. I think that's a great virtue there. Just say, no, absolutely not. If you're confident, then you should be able to be confident in saying that. I think that would be a, an important skill to have. Disagreeableness beats physical bravery. That's what we've learned. Well, if it, it depends if it's like, give me your wallet or I'll stab you. No, that, no. that's unnecessary disagreeableness, isn't it? But also don't try and fight the person, I guess. No, give them um, the wallet. Give them the wallet. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to make a lot of value judgments. Being able to make effective value judgments is probably the the great kind of virtue to have, I guess. Yeah, that's the the meta skill. Um, that's wisdom, the greatest of them all. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, let's call it there, my virtuous chum. And uh, hey, if you don't already subscribe to the Speaking Generally podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher, you can drop us an email at sh. Hussey, that's S double H U S S E Y at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes. Do you get um, any emails? Not many. I get DMs, people more on Ooh. Instagram. If you want to go on Instagram, Stephen at Stephen H Hussey. More people DM on Instagram about the podcast, but now I host two podcasts. I'm not always sure what one they're referring to. So mm, depends okay. if they mention your brother Matt, probably, probably plays <laughs> it up a bit more. Yeah, that's true. Um, so please be specific in those emails. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Thanks so much, buddy. I will talk soon. Pleasure. Bye-bye.